What is up guys? This is All The Smoke on Strength and Physique with your hosts, Adam and Chris, where we provide you with evidence-based information, community support, and recognition to all who are betting themselves with fitness. Welcome back to All The Smoke on Strength and Physique. We got another crazy special guest. Just met this individual, but he's got quite the background. His name is Cotter Derrickson. I'm really afford to kind of hear about your background, um, specifically because you are someone that has you know, a business background, but you've been in, it seems like a lot of the, the, the trenches of strength and conditioning, now opening your own business, um, online, in person, all of that. So you've been around the block, my man. So really great, excited to kind of hear your experience and your, the differences with all the fields and how you got to where you are today. So my man, yo, those individuals that are listening that have no idea who you are, could you go ahead and introduce yourself, my man? Of course. Yeah. So, you know, in the strength and conditioning field, um, I'm young, right? Like only 27, but, um, you know, did my internships like every, everybody, you know, uh, we started off at Salisbury university interned there and volunteered there. Got my undergraduate undergraduate degree there as well. Went to sacred heart university up in Connecticut, uh, spent some time up there interning. And then I went and took like a part-time assistantship, uh, at William Penn university in Iowa, so, you know, like doing the classic move around, just like a normal strength and conditioning coach. Um, then I landed a graduate assistantship at Weber International University, where that's where I got my MBA, as well as, you know, coached there for about two years, uh, graduated and, and moved on um, and went into professional baseball with the Minnesota Twins, where I spent about two years there, maybe a little over, and the last seven months, eight months or so have been um, for a company called Future, as well as uh, I've been training people uh, myself with my, my own personal business, Counter Direction Performance, CDP, um, hybrid, virtual, we do it all. Um, so yeah, that's kind of that's kind of like a quick synopsis of, of where I've been and, and what's going on here. Yeah. And something I'm most interested about, we were talking before this podcast started, and we were like, we got to stop because we're getting into the juicy stuff. But you mentioned that you're sort of gra- you gravitated towards overhead athletes. Mm-hmm. And I want you to talk about your experience through your interns and your GA through that process, because I did one internship and I got my feet wet with 13 different sports. And I have an idea of a couple sports that I like, but I have yet to gravitate towards one. So how did you find yourself falling in love with overhead athletes? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I played, a, I played baseball in college, so um, kind of gravitated towards that, you know, I, at Weber as a graduate assistant. Men's volleyball and baseball were, uh, you know, two teams that I was, you know, leading, so two overhead sports right there. Um, and at that time, you know, I barely knew that guys played volleyball. Uh, so that was a whole different learning curve and, and in itself, and which was cool, right? Like these guys swing hard, jump high, and are actually pretty physical. And I was like, wow, this sport's kind of cool for guys. Um, so then, you know, like kind of like flashing forward and moving forward, right? I've always been wanting to go in baseball. I, I go in baseball, getting in professional baseball, right? Working with all overhead athletes. Um, and I'm actually like starting to play this game volleyball, right? I'm like, wow, this is kind of cool. And it's, it's an overhead sport as well. So then I have overhead sport uh, experience, right? Like working in baseball. And I just kind of bring that towards, towards the beach game and towards the indoor volleyball game. Um, 
and you know as i start playing it my wife is big in the beach game and in the volleyball game like people just start to gravitate towards you when when you're involved in it and as well as being a professional in in that realm um and then I just started training people right on the side. And then it just kind of became a thing. Um, but, you know, there's, there's a lot that goes on with the overhead athlete, like myths and what to do and what not to do. But um, it, it all kind of translates from, from one sport to the other. Now, you mentioned something I was going to bring up, the myths and mistakes or the things that you've learned or seen people do incorrectly with overhead athletes what are what is let's specifically target baseball here mm-hmm. what specifically was some mistakes or myths that you see go on or that you learned over the years yeah yeah i've seen a lot of bucketing um right like all our pitchers need to do this all of our position players need to do x right like every individual is so different every individual is going to present differently every individual is going to move differently and we we can't say that all pitchers are going to need uh, the same type of programming because every person is different. So it's, we really have to dive into each individual and see what kind of case, see how they present and see what they specifically need. Because just because they're a pitcher doesn't mean that they can't uh, dumbbell bench press, or we can even go as far as bench press, like whatever. We don't, we don't have to go down that rabbit hole, but it, just because they're, they have that pitcher title doesn't mean that they can't do that. They might have all the capabilities of doing that and be perfectly fine doing that. Um, so yeah, it's like, don't put yourself in a hole. Like let's, let's see what, the, how that athlete presents and see what they actually need before putting them in a bucket of they need to do this. All pitchers do this. So one thing, you know, I want to kind of get into is right. It seems like you've, again, you've trained multiple athletes, you've trained different sports and here we are. And I hear this a lot, right? It's all about the individual but you're one person in a room full of, I don't know how many athletes I would assume with baseball, about 20, 30 athletes. How are you doing it single-handedly or did you have a team? And if you had a team, what was your approach to kind of get individuals or individualized programming for your players? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's different, right? Like, it, and it all comes down to what, what does your situation look like? Because uh, you can write the best programs and have the best ideas in the world, but if you can't manage a weight room, uh, full of 40 guys, it doesn't matter, right? It all goes to crap. Um, you got to have some kind of system in place, right? Like you, you want to, whatever your situation is, you got to have a system in place that you know you can you can get the job done well. Um, when in doubt, like stick to your guns, stick to what you can coach really well. Um, yeah, it's just, I don't know, man. It's it's tough, right? It's it's hard to 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 really put a pinpoint it without knowing your specific situation. Um, but when in doubt, like there's uh, hopefully you have a couple of staples that you hold on to and that 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 hold true to you that are, are non-negotiable, right? Like they're always going to be in that program no matter what. And you got to find a way to get those done. So then I, I just follow up with that question. What were those? I guess sound principle exercises or you know, check-in processes that you guys would always have your athletes do before they would train or honestly, after you train, like what is your, take us through a typical workout session that you maybe had in the past or what you're currently doing now. So we can kind of, you know, see how that process Mm -hmm. goes. You want like, uh, like assessment process, like finding out how they move and and what they are and and how they present, or do you you want more like workout style? You can do just, 
I, I was thinking maybe just broad. So mm-hmm. if maybe you do assessments first, you don't have to like yeah. explain exactly why or uh, give like a huge long, but like, okay, you'll do a overhead squat just to see this. You'll do a uh, heel to toe ankle mobility assessment. And then that will discover these things. And if these things are okay, then we're okay to focus on mm-hmm. some of our exercises and, and then just go from there. Yeah. Yeah. Holistically, right. Like I take a lot from FMS, SFMA, um, from like PRI to a little bit of everything. Um, but holistically, like, like I'll check like an overhead squat. I'll check, um, can you touch your toes? Uh, and, and what does that look like? Do you have a, a good spinal curve? Can you posteriorly uh, shift your weight back? Um, if you can't touch your toes, why not? Like what every assessment and every exercise is telling us a story. It's telling, it's giving us information. Uh, T-spine mobility, ankle mobility. Can you rotate? Uh, where can you rotate? ER and IR at the shoulder, at the hip. Um, this is extensive and it's, if you have the people and the resources, yeah, you, I, I would be doing it all. If not, like, let's take the low-hanging fruit and kind of take the holistic ones. Can you overhead squat, right, without anything overhead, just putting your hands overhead? That'll tell you a little something. Check ERI or at the hip. Um, that's easy. You don't even need a goniometer. Just just get in there and, and get a good feel. All right, you're probably limited here, right? Like, you can't get to 45 here. ER, you probably, if you can't get to 60, you're probably limited. Um T-spine rotation, right? Like there's multiple variations. You can do that. There's a couple easy ones you can check there. And then, you know, then you can start to like, maybe if, if you're limited on time and resources and people being your biggest resource, then you can start to bucket people. All right. These people have, you know, crappy hip IR and limited T-spine rotation. These people uh, have motor control issues and are stuck in anterior till and whatever. Then you can start to bucket them that way instead of, you know, the myth of, or how people want to bucket them into your pitcher, you're going to do 15 reps of banded wise or whatever. Like that's another thing, just like going through a ton of reps on band shoulder work, whatever. Uh, so yeah, let's like, let's bucket them. In, if you're going to bucket in, in areas like that, after you've done assessing and, and you're starting to have an idea of how they present. Now, some, some of the things you mentioned with ER, ERIR, the internal external rotation of the hips is not something, is that something that is touched on FMS? I took FMS level one and I don't believe it was, was it? No, it's not. It's an SFMA. Okay. That makes sense because I, I see a lot of value behind that. Could you dive into that a little about your experience mm-hmm. with that? Yeah, for sure. And everybody's different, man. It's so crazy. Like that was a great thing about, um, learning opportunity with, you know, being with the twins and, you know, we're assessing monthly. So, uh, assessing everybody in the org, um, whatever, 200 people, excuse me, every month you see a lot and you get really comfortable doing these assessments and you see like, wow, this guy throws fuzz and moves like crap. This guy, another guy, it's phenomenal, super strong, moves well, and it's throwing 85 or 87. You know what I mean? Like those are outliers too, but um, you get to see a lot, right? In that stance. Uh, when it comes to ER and IR, right? Like you think about pitching, 
and the hot topic of, right, like being able to block, right? Your right-handed pitcher usually won't have a sufficient amount of IR on the left leg so that you can, you know, so that the pelvis, right, can rotate around that fixed femur and so that you can get that IR and be able to post on that leg and get on top of the ball, et cetera. Uh, that's what you want to see, like ideally. Usually, right, like in, in most baseball players, you're going to see uh, a lot more ER in, in the throwing shoulder, right? Like everybody wants to look at GERD. It's, do we need to? I don't know, probably not. Like, what are we trying to do? We're just trying to manage, uh, they, they're getting that ER, right? They're gaining ER throughout the season for a reason, right? Like they need it. Um, the, the loss of IR, is is it a big deal? Yeah, I think there's ways that we can gain it back, uh, but I don't think it's like the end all be all. Uh, but yeah, you'll see, you know, increased ER in the throwing shoulder, uh, uh, ER to IR, right? Like the IR on the non-dominant shoulder is usually gonna be a little bit more, as well as like IR for pitchers on the front leg. Um, same with hitters, even on that front leg, right? Like if I'm a right-handed swing, right-handed hitter, my, my left leg IR is usually a little bit higher, um, but there's, everybody's different, right? It's just, it's telling us a story, right? How can I take this information that I'm getting from my assessment? How can I, if, you know, if I'm super involved, hopefully you are, right? Like, how can I, if I'm in the cage and I'm watching him hit and I know the game of baseball, hopefully I can see like, wow, he, he can't do this. He can't rotate at the spine. Uh, he can't dissociate, right? Like his pelvis and his, and his torso, when he swings, it all goes like a, like a barn door. It turns all at the same time instead of his pelvis leading the way and the torso coming behind. Right, like you can start to put those together and you're like, all right, maybe I can work on this in the way. Now, what are some ways you really target and correct or assist in bettering ER, ERIR? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that's a great question. A lot of it comes down to positioning, right? Like, how are how what's what's your posture, right? Posture like. What's your torso, right? Like when in doubt, let's start right here. Let's start between the tits and at the pelvis. Let's start at the thoracic. How do you breathe? How does your rib cage sit? Um, and, and where does your pelvis sit in a resting posture? A lot of it can be fixed with, this is a little bit of PRI coming out, but with some breath positive, like reinforcement of breath work and just positioning, right? Like we can gain IR at the shoulder by, by increasing our, our pelvis and rib positioning. Um, so when it comes to that, like a lot of us, we maybe would go straight to like a, a, sh a shoulder car or whatever, a 90, 90 shin box, whatever you want to call them like the hips, but maybe like, instead of like looking directly at, at the root of what's going on, maybe we, we look at the cause, right? Like maybe you don't have IR, maybe you're limited in IR because of something up the chain. Um, so just make sure that you're looking at the whole picture. You know, I think you touch on a really good thing is, you know, being able to teach diaphragmatic breathing. You know, so my bias is, is you know, powerlifting and any type of weightlifting movement. And you'll see a lot of people or just in general, right, they chest breathe a lie. Um, and I try to take it back to, hey, do you have a dog? Do you have a baby? Start looking at those things and watch how they breathe. Um, we get so fixated and we're honestly taught, right, dip, big breath, breathe through that chest and exit out. And it's like you're not creating, you know, that diaphragmatic surface area or surface space to create, you know, 
proper breathing. And that's why we get so tense up here. And especially when you're like, hey, how are you sitting? You're probably sitting like this, hunched over. Again, no wonder you can't feel your glutes. No wonder you can't feel your back and stuff like that. Um, and again, high stress, you're starting to use muscles that you're not supposed to, quote unquote, use. Um, but I think, you know, there's a lot of merit to that. Um, I guess I would ask you for those specific situations. How are you kind of cueing or what are your exercises that you're trying to teach proper breathing? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, even the most basic, simple one would be like an all force belly breathing, right? Like getting on all fours, quadruped, um, getting into total flexion, right? Cervical, thoracic, lumbar, tilt the pelvis, full flexion and big belly breaths, right? Like in through your nose, out through your mouth, filling up the belly, just making sure that we're feeling the belly expand and making sure that we exhale, right? Like a lot of us, we're hyperinflated. We keep so much air within us, making sure that we completely exhale all the air out of our belly feeling. You can literally feel the rib cage tucked down against the diaphragm. Uh, that's like the most basic one. Then you get 90-90 hip lift, right? Like, and if you want to get into like a left AIC, like which most people are, like you can start to pull that left hip that femur down into the socket, put a foam roller in between the legs and, and drive the hip, right? Like drive that left hip in, right hip up, focusing on breathing, focusing on exhaling. Um, those are the two basic ones right there that I think are easy to teach, super easy. You know, it's funny that you say like, like they're easy. And I remember kind of first being taught a lot of this. I was just like, yo, do I guess I really do not know how to fucking breathe. Yeah. Like what yeah. is going yeah. on here? And then you really start chasing. I, I remember literally laying in bed with one hand on my chest, one hand on my belly, and I'm just focused on breathing. And you just get this relaxation mode, right? You're starting to activate that parasympathetic nervous system. And now from whatever reason, from a lot of that practice and those reps and just that cueing, mm -hmm. I start catching myself. Hey, if I'm starting to get stressed, hey, man, just take those little simple deep breaths. Um, there's a lot of neurobiological you know, research back behind this, right? If you start just using some breath control holds and just deep diaphragmatic breathing, right, you can literally control a lot of variables within your body. And it's interesting to kind of hear from a performance based coach for the strength conditioning say, hey, we just kind of focus on that. You'd be surprised, you know, how the hip IR, IR, ER can kind of hopefully move in the right direction. And only again, it really starts with almost one basic principle that a lot of us overlook, which is breathing. And I take that into like, it's easy to, you know, as you're teaching that, right? Like and you're trying to teach a deadlift and you're trying to teach a squat and most people do not know how to brace, right? Like most people don't know how to, how to hold air and, and compress air in a 360 degree, like degree, right? Like feeling air fill up in your mid back or in your low back as well. Uh, you kind of like try and take that, those breathing, right? That you do in the beginning and your movement prep and you, and you kind of relate it back to like when you're deadlifting and kind of creating that internal belt and creating that internal or intra-abdominal pressure. Now, within baseball, well, any sport, there's going to be different phases that we want to attack. Quickly, I guess, is, mine doesn't have to be quickly, breathing, is that something you'll focus on throughout each phase, in-season, out-of-season, pre-season, off-season? Every day. Every day. Okay. So breathing is one of those things we'll focus in throughout all aspects of the season, but for baseball, is there anything that really changes through these different phases that you, uh, really can put like a, a larger broad or look yeah, at an outside spectrum? One, one thing too, Connor, like for breathing, it almost seems like that's something you're having to be more educational wise rather than kind of training. 
right? Because mm-hmm. this again, it's something that we're doing every day. There's something that no matter what, I remember one intern that I did, he he would call it, I'm gonna be the secret ninja. And he's this ninja is gonna make sure that you're ABB. I was like, ABB, he goes, you better always be braced. No matter what you're doing, you better be braced. And he would say, I'm a secret ninja. And he come whack you right in the stomach. And if you weren't braced, you're gonna learn how to brace real quick. So mm-hmm. is that something, and I, I felt like that's, is an extreme effect, but again, just providing that education. So they understand that and they're always utilizing it. Is that that kind of approach that you guys were utilizing no matter where you were at? Yeah, it is. It's just like, it, it's something that we all throw in a movement prep. You know, first thing we do is we breathe, you know, depending on who you are and what you need, right. You're in how advanced you are. You might have a different, different breathing exercise, but the first thing we're, we're going to do every day is breathe we're going to breathe and we're going to, and it's, it's an educational piece, right? Like I'll be on the floor and walking you through it, you know, the nitty gritty right there. Like, but you know, like after a couple of weeks, you know what you're doing and, and you know that it's important and you know how it relates and you know, it sets up your pelvis and, and, and rib cage and you know, I'm, I'm curious if what's the overlying thing that people instantly start to notice. Is it that they don't know how to breathe really? Or is it that they start to breathe and their st- shoulders starts to move better and feel better? Um, yeah, usually they just don't know how to breathe well because it's such a long way down the road where it's like, oh, sh- I, I, I can move better. I can, you know, sit at the bottom of a squat. You know, that could be never, that could be six months from now. Um, and, it, and it's a trickle effect of like other variables being tied in as well. Uh, but most people will just like, you know, the first time you, you have an athlete and you're like, all right, all force belly lift. They're like, what? I'm just going to get here and breathe. I thought we were working out. Um, you know, so it, it takes a while for sure. But um, yeah, like most, most people buy into it and they, they understand the value. Yeah. And that's the biggest thing is if most people believe it in the people you are helping find the value in it, it's going to be the, the key right. thing with these different phases though. Could you sort of give a broad spectrum on what you would like to focus on yeah. in each part of the season? You already know what I'm going to say. It, it depends on the person. It always depends on the person. I'm not going to throw out some cookie cutter. Um, everybody's in a speed phase. You probably might not, everybody might not need that right now. Uh, in season, right? Like maybe not everybody needs that. Maybe little Johnny's still 150 pounds and can't squat over 225. I don't know how much speed he actually needs, right? Like, I don't know if it's going to, I mean, he probably needs it, but I don't know how, if that's going to benefit him more than him getting under a sub-maximal load uh, a couple of times a week. Uh, so it depends on the goal, right? Like if, I, if, if I'm in a professional setting and I have a minor league athlete that is 20 years old and he's in season at low A, Am I going to put him through a speed phase in season? Probably not because low A isn't where he's, his goal, his end goal was to be in the major league. So, and for him to be in the major leagues, let's look at some numbers. Most people are over 200 pounds and most people are strong as hell. So let's get you strong as hell and let's put on some weight. I don't care if you, you suck in your low A game right now. Are you actually going to suck from me pushing you a little bit? Probably not. And mentally, right? Like I, I got to throw that out there and I have to educate him that educate this, this athlete that, what's most important because they know what's most important, but just kind of reminding them that this isn't the end goal, right? Like we're trying to get you to the big leagues and let's keep that in mind. Like our training is going to reflect that. I'm not training you to 
hit 20 bombs this year in low A. I'm training you to hit 40 bombs in the big leagues. Now, I guess, you know, specifically going through a baseball season, and I'm not, I'm not very educated with baseball at all, but it's the longest damn sport I know of. <laughs> you guys play 160, 180 games, something like that, plus a postseason. And then don't forget, you got spring training on that. So the window of just relaxing and chilling isn't there. But take me through, I know it's going to depend on the individual, but, you know, holistically through the team, yeah. what are things are you specifically targeting or specific goals that you would set yeah. out for individuals in season, preseason, offseason, postseason, stuff like that? Right. Yeah. Yes. Baseball's it's different, man. It's a different, different kind of grind, different kind of like atmosphere, sport, culture, everything. So it's like, all right. Um, Spring training starts. What is that? Uh, March. Pitchers, catchers, and most organizations are having a lot of people report before then. Uh, so most people, uh, most of your team is there in mid-February. Uh, spring training will last, what, a month? So uh, first around 1st of April. So like mid-February, late off-season uh, and spring training, it's just like that ramp-up period because they're no different than clients that you have or low-level collegiate athletes that you have, some of them didn't do anything in the offseason. Um, uh, some of them do, like, and I, you don't want to write that off, but it, it's a rainfall period, right? Like, and you come to spring training, everybody has their own agenda, and they, they got so much to do, right? Like, everybody's trying to get a crap ton in in a short amount of time. So it's like we have to be cautious and strength conditioning side on, on what we're throwing at them. So slow rainfall period, right? You're trying to get your sprints in. You're trying to get just load under these individuals. Um, and let's say spring training is over, right? Like hopefully you're ramped up, you're in season, right? Beginning of season, like it's generally, right? It depends on the person, but we're in a building phase still, especially in the minor leagues, we're in a building phase because it's not the end goal. Um, and, you know, towards the middle, it, like it just depends on the person too, right? Like let's say somebody's having a, you know, a rough time or it, they go, they skip levels and stuff like that. There's, there's different dips maybe in programming that vary uh, on what's going on throughout the season. Um, but other than that, it's 100% it's going to be dependent on the person, right? Like maybe it's a super strong athlete and we're transitioning them from speed phases to strength phases. And maybe they're doing like a West side programming. Maybe they go straight to a speed later in the year. Uh, if they're ready for that, like we can definitely do that. Uh, but, you know, maybe if they're super developmental and, and their focus is pure strength, like we'll, we'll grind that out throughout the year and, and, and take dips or deloads as, as needed. What, what are some things that you'll use to see if someone needs to deload or if someone needs to take an off day in the gym or a light mm -hmm. load day or something like that? Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. We'll track like what we used to do and, and I've seen work well is just easily like tracking grip strength every day. Um, we're seeing dips in that, um, especially pitchers. We'll track that on a weekly basis after starts and whatnot. Um, position guys just tracking that on a weekly basis. Jumps we'll track kind of movement jumps, um, per lift, like pre lift. We'll always track those. Um, so any significant change, any, you know, the smallest worthwhile change we find there and, we'll be able to track and maybe it's just a day or a couple of days that we're just like, Hey, you know, let, let's take it down a notch. Um, we'll do so. But yeah, being able to track readiness is, is especially important when you're, you're playing 
minor league level, 148 games a year and big league level, 160 or whatever. One thing that you mentioned was grip strength. Explain some, do you, do you know some of the science behind that or why that is such a valuable, uh, I'm assuming that it is, it's extremely valuable, especially for throwers, because a lot of it is your forearm and a lot of those muscles are continuously being used. So your grip strength, I'm assuming the more you throw the grip strength will go down, correct? Or is there more behind it? Yeah. And it's just, it's more or less, uh, I don't actually have the science. I have a couple articles, uh, but it's, it's more directed to the CNS central nervous system more so than, than actual grip strength. So, um, what is it like 20 or 30 pounds? I can't even remember right off the top of my head. Uh, I, I'll have to give you the research, but, uh, yeah, it, it's more directly to the central nervous system and, and seeing those dips. You're like, well, whole bodies could, could possibly be taxed. Same kind of movement jump. So one thing that I've always heard is um, the grip strength is a real great indicator. And, all. and I back off on counter move a jump because that's something that I feel like is a skill in itself, right? It's really hard or it's really easy to kind of, or I should say, it's actually hard to, I guess, not give it your all or kind of play the test of a grip strength, but it's really easy to get really good at that counter movement jump. And then that can kind of play an effect of that objective subjective role in, I guess, readiness to exercise. Um, but I guess objectively, right. Numbers don't always kind of align with subjectively of how you actually feel. Were there any like psychological questionnaires or questions that you, Hey, are you ready to kind of do what we need to do? And if not, what was, I guess, the, the other approach that you would have to go to usually? Yeah, I, I agree on that too, right? Like kind of movement jump, especially on like a jump mat is you can get really good at jumping and you can just be like, I mean, I'm going to be honest, like most you know Hispanic baseball players live in this plane and they're not used to like jumping. Um, so they're not great jumpers. Um, so that's like a whole teaching tool in itself. Um, but yeah, like tracking readiness in, in other areas as well. Like just even basic questionnaires, if you don't have the technology, um, just asking, you know, sweet, we would ask sleep, quote, sleep quality, sleep duration, literally, how do you feel? Where do you have soreness and where, um, that was another question. And I can't remember, maybe it was nutrition based, but, um, just uh, baseball, the biggest field sport there is, right? Like guys want to feel good. They, they're, some people have weird and superstitions like lifting before game. Like, I mean, obviously we, we would lift before games, but like doing crazy stuff before games, doing lifting after games at midnight, um, want to feel good. And that's, that's what it's all about. Mental. It's all mental. Yeah. And I think you mentioned something really important that some people might not think of, and they might be either ignorant and say, Oh, everyone's an individual. It doesn't matter your race or it doesn't matter where you come from. We're all people, but that's, that's not the case. People, different, social environments, different backgrounds come from different places. And those different places all have different things that are favored. Like you said, some Hispanics, especially in baseball, you get a lot of people from overseas and they just don't move the same because it's a completely different environment over there. Mm -hmm. What is, uh, what is some things that you'll have to experience when someone's coming from overseas? Cause I know that's a big system mm -hmm. within itself. They have to go through uh the english barrier and learning that and then even when they do come over their their english might all might not all be there what was your experience like with that yeah um luckily 
most major league clubs have decent programs or most most have programs in the major countries, like especially the Dominican Republic, um, which a lot come from Dominican Republic, Cuba, uh, mainly Venezuela as well. Uh, so they're, they're learning English at, you know, in those academies starting as early as 15. Um, and they're training there too. So, you know, getting general strength programs, getting, getting stuff done, learning basic movement patterns. So that's always great. Um, but, you know, like I said, like they, they live in that transverse plane uh, and, and they rotate really well and they know how to rotate. And they grow, most of them, I'm generalizing, grow up playing the sport of baseball and a lot of it, and, but not much else, right? Like uh, a lot of us are, are privileged with playing multiple sports, which make us super great athletes and know how to move and control our bodies really well. Uh, so yeah, it's just, it's different, man. That's one barrier as well as like that language barrier. And, that's, I feel like that's, that's on the coach, right? Like, I feel like that's, that's your job to learn to connect and, and learn, find ways to connect and, and learn that language as best as possible. But yeah, it's a, it's a different animal in itself. And I said many times I had a tutor and, you know, I can get around my wife's Colombian. I should know Spanish. She was literally born in Colombia. Um, but yeah, there's many times where I'm like, all right, I'm going to learn Spanish this year. And it never really happened. Like I can, speak whatever do you, do you know a lot of weight room lingo oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i can i know and, and i can understand um not many dominicans i can understand a lot of my wife's family dominicans mostly speak so fast you know um but yeah i, I, I can get around okay yeah and i think that's a that's a whole different it's the art of coaching like knowing how understanding your athletes understanding where they come from and even it goes down to the youth level, like what you said, like a lot of people are privileged to have the opportunity to play multiple sports mm -hmm. because they didn't have a single mother working four jobs and they could have both parents help them to two sports, three sports, four. Uh, and, and just a lot of people miss that opportunity. So it's really important to note that. Now, as I was scrolling through some of your information, you had a lot of hype about your bulletproof shoulder programs mm -hmm. go ahead dive into that and what approach you like to take with your arm care programs of course it's going to be very ind individualized but talk about maybe some of the things that you encounter and how you would sort of group those different issues or different things that you would encounter yeah this one is the one where i might not even say it's super individualized honestly uh, because there are a couple different areas and focuses that everybody needs. Uh, everybody needs the, the joint to be able to rotate in socket, right? Like that needs to happen, right? There needs to be good fluid motion there. You need to be able to get external rotation and internal rotation straight. Uh, well, first and foremost, right? Like, like we talked about earlier, for this good glenohumeral uh, rotation and movement, the rib cage needs to be in a good position. Um, that's where our breathing comes in, right? Like that's why we start from this distal to proximal approach, right? We, we always start here, right? Like our, then our, our movement prep, our, our first work is going to be breathing work. And then maybe like some core work, dead bug, plank, right? Like still working that thoracic region, right? Like hoping to get good position, right? Like we're going to work position here first. Hopefully we can get the rib cage in a good position. And then, right, if we can get this correct, then we'll start to work the scap, 
right? Like we want to get the scap on the rib cage. So, you know, it's, I'm doing this as if like the listeners can see me. Um, you want the scap to be snugged up to the rib cage. That's first and foremost, because if the scap can't be snugged up to the rib cage, then you're not going to be able to go overhead well, or you're not going to be able to externally rotate or internally rotate well. So first and foremost, breathing, core work, right? Starting holistically. That's part of cuff work, right? Like people, it's hard to wrap your head around that, but that, that's the beginning parts of cuff work. Then can we get the scap on the rib cage well, right? Low trap, rhomboid, serratus work. That's always going to be first and foremost, snug, right? Like none of this anterior tilt of the scap, snug on the ribcage. Next, um, in this order too, right? Like uh, some kind of cuff strengthening, right? Um, first and foremost, right? If, if you're a young athlete and you don't know how to move well, maybe we're just doing some um, basic like prone external rotations or uh, just literally feeling the, the joint be able to move well and go into external rotation. Um, but then, you know, some kind of strengthening holds and, and external rotation holds um, to more advanced, like uh, eccentric external rotation, like of the cable, like going down. Uh, so cuff strengthening. Then I believe there's a timing component as well, like within baseball. So we'll do a lot of uh, like rhythmic stabilizations. Uh, can you turn on and off muscles of the cuff when needed? So like coming around and, and stabilizing your arm, right? Like in, in a rhythmic fashion, um, you know, even like with carriage, right? Like that could be a strength, cuff strengthening or a stabilizer. Uh, those three are the most important in, in my eyes, right? Like, so scap on rib first, some kind of strengthening at, at the cuff and at the joint, and then the timing components. Well, first and foremost, right? Like being in good position, right? Like we, we attack that first. That's pretty much a part of, of cuff work. Yeah. And for this arm work, are you, those three main things that you're mentioning, is that something that you'll do before pre is that pregame and postgame? Is it, are you focusing on certain things during certain parts of the day or what approach do you take with that? Yeah. We'll use them in, in fillers a lot, right? Like throughout workouts. Um, so scap on rib stuff will come first and, and trickle down, but um, fillers throughout main lifts, uh, it'll, it'll be throughout their entire lift, as well as, you know, if it's needed a lot, maybe on like uh, an off region day, like where they're not lifting, it's just kind of some kind of regeneration work. Um, we'll throw them in there as well. So pre or post, not too worried about it, but just getting it in when needed. And pre or post, not so much. And that makes sense. But when you, when you look at how many games you guys are playing and really during the season, it might not be, okay, let's, let's get stronger. Let's get this. Like, like you said, you're not going to be able to take this idealistic approach with your training program, because as a baseball MLB player, you're not going to be your main goal isn't to bench 300 or to squat 300. It is to win tonight's game so that you can go play tomorrow and win tomorrow's game and keep doing that so that you can make the playoffs and win the title. So what are you doing to prepare these athletes, pitchers and position players, skilled players? What are you doing in order to get them prepared for that night? And, and, and what aspect are you asking? Just general or? Yeah, it could be general because I understand there's still 
workouts are still going to have to get done. However, uh, these workouts might get adjusted based on how one feels to make them feel better for the game. They, they might need to, uh, avoid doing a certain amount of volume in their. Mm-hmm. So I guess that's a question within itself is volume within the shoulder, something you, you consider before putting them through something. Um, yes, but mainly no, uh, it all depends on what they they've done in the off season, right? If they've trained with us in the off season and they're prepared for this, their body's prepared for the volume and, and what's the demands of the sport and the demands of in season, right? Like you're going to last in season based off what you did this off season. Uh, that's going to set you up for, for, for in season success. So it's like none of, none of the shoulder work that, that I'll put people through is, is super taxing. I'm not like, I never do tough work to failure. Uh, there's no need for that. They, they don't grow to failure. Uh, it's just, we're training the cuff and it's same like with to overall lifting, right? Like, yeah, like in season volumes cut, or maybe I shouldn't even say that maybe out of season, we increase the volume and increase the intensity. Uh, but yeah, like overall cuff volume work uh, doesn't, doesn't get cut. I think like you said, right. It depends on the, the time of year. It depends specifically on the individual, what they need. Once you're able to kind of run that needs analysis, you're able to hopefully develop an optimal program for them to get them to that goal, as you said, is which is to play at that professional level. My now question is, right, you've worked a lot of places, right? And a lot of listeners here, we have some people that are interested to, you know, develop their own business, get into the strength and conditioning field or, or the, the job market. What are the a few tips and tricks that, you know, helped you kind of get your foot in the door and really kind of flourish within wherever you are at? Mm-hmm. Good question. And just don't, it, it's easy to be uh, intimidated and, and, and nervous about the next step. And it just, you know, there's a lot of, I don't know, right? Like, especially being a strength and conditioning coach, like you don't know where you're going to be. It's just like being an athlete, right? Like in the professional level or in, in minor league baseball. You don't know where you're going to be, right? You could be in Iowa. You could be in New York. You could be in Minnesota. You have no idea where you're going to be. And it's very similar within strength and conditioning because most people are trying that, you know, they want to break into the collegiate sector or the pro sector so bad that they're, they're willing to, to jump and, and leap when someone, someone gives us an opportunity. Uh, don't be scared to throw your name out there and, and don't be scared to, to make those leaps and those bounds. Uh, yeah, that would be like my, my biggest tip and, of the trade right there and now what made you kind of make that transition from you know being at the collegiate level working your way up to the professional level now you're like hey seems like i'm kind of you know working on my own terms right now it seems like hey that's what everybody wants but what made you go through that process and ultimately what are the top three things that you learned throughout that process Mm -hmm. because again you're relatively young and i think Mm -hmm. a lot of people and chris and i have both laughed about it right I'll never forget this one phone call. The dude was troubled, man. He was yo-yoing and doing all of this. And I was like, man, do you hear yourself? And he goes, yeah, but you know, the one issue I have with you is like, you're 26 years old. I was like, fair point. I get it. I don't know how a 40 year old feels, but again, the basic principles are the same, but throughout your time, right. You're still relatively long. And it's exciting to say that. What are those three things that 
you have learned throughout your time going through all of these places. And I guess to piggyback on that, since you're young and the exciting part about that, what are the top three things that you hope to do to better yourself within this career? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's, you know, kind of going off of segue of what I said a second ago, like you want to make those leaps and those bounds, right. To, to get that job opportunity and, and land it with the, with a big name. Um, and right. Like being a professional baseball, it's they're, they're just people just like training a general, general population, right. Like train and you know, everybody wants to train like million dollar athletes, like, or just have a little bit more skill than the other guys. Like they're, they're no, it's not that special. Most of them, a lot of them don't want to listen to you as much anyway. Um, so it's like, you know, it's, it's not all what it's, what it's worked up to be, right? Like you, you don't, you don't have to chase that, that the name on the shirt or that the big title, um, it's about finding that situation that's right for you in, in, in the moment, um, and really making that leap and that bound in, in that area. Yeah. And that's something, something you mentioned, like the, the big name people or these people in these elite sports, um, they, they sometimes just don't want to listen to you or they give a lot of pushback. Um, and, and that's something that I learned during USF, not that specifically, but it, it's, it's a different environment. And Perhaps you can't build the relationship needed. Perhaps it's the, it's, there's just a lot more barriers. You're, you're helping 40 to 50 athletes at once. Um, what, are, what were some things that you guys did within your organization to really make sure you guys are touching base with every single person mm-hmm. in the necessary matter? Or was that possibly a limitation as well? Because strength and conditioning it is picking up ground, especially at a big organization like Minnesota. It's more prominent, but like division two, II, division three, it just gets overlooked or maybe not all, but there will be some schools that overlook it. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it, it is different, right? Like let's say when, when I was with the twins, you know, that there's, let's say there's 250 athletes. I can't even remember. Um, there's 10 strength and conditioning coaches uh, for those, you know, two on the Dominican, two on the big league level and whatever in between. So you get a little bit more individualized approach um, to that. It's, it's not perfect. Um, but that being said, like a barrier is that this is their livelihood, right? Like if they believe, truly believe in something and, and doing something one way they're the one that has to live with it and you know move on you know what i mean like this is their career they're putting on the line they they don't have to necessarily listen to you right like i I never really encountered many situations like this but it's just a little bit different right in the collegiate setting it's like sack up dude like yeah you're division one whatever you think you're a big shot but it's still my way right like here's this is still my our program right Um, So it's a little different in that aspect. Yeah, I think that's, you know, one of the things that is really overlooked when you have or have to work with professional athletes is there's a lot of ego in there and unfortunate, fortunate, whatever you might want to perceive it. That's a huge barrier. And I think almost having to be able to come to that middle ground, as we've kind of discussed, like that's that art and coaching for me to kind of meet you where you're at and to Mm -hmm. persuade you the importance of this. And 
it's unfortunate. I think a lot of athletes, it's that, oh, shit moment. That's like, all right, man, you were right all along. Instead of just, you know, swallowing it at the get go and say, you know, I'm going to trust this guy. Right. He's earned this job. He has this title and I'm going to just go in all in on it. Right. And and you go in all on it. Right. That's something you can control. But if you can't control sometimes the outcome, but the best thing to control that outcome is to control that effort, that intensity and just that trust within who you're going into it with. So um, it's been a blast, my man. I would again kind of wrapping it up we like to just kind of spitball some questions and it's just random things so we can kind of you know what has definitely helped develop you in individual or your coaching philosophy my biggest thing that I always love to ask people is you know top three books top three to five books that you've read or you would always gift to people that kind of yeah. change your life and stuff like that so go ahead give us three to five books that you would recommend to us your your listeners our listeners whatever it may be I'm waiting for the day that we get someone they're like I don't fucking read like what are you talking about <laughs> Because listen, like two years ago, two and a half years ago, man, I had no books. I don't read. I don't. And then grad school hit. And that's like all I do now, dude. I just read like it don't make sense. Grad school literally changed someone. Yeah. Yeah. I used to hate reading. And, you know, I think back into like undergrad of like not wanting, like being resistant to read. And now like I read all the time. My wife makes fun of me because uh, she doesn't like to read uh I'm, I'm looking around right now because i have a bunch of books um uh principles is really good by ray dalio like it's just kind of like teaches you how to systemize things as well as right create principles for uh, just being a leader in general and running whatever a business um which can it can you can relate it to just about anything um ruthless elimination of hurry really good um a little bit spiritual so if you're not into that like i wouldn't recommend it but it just talks a lot about like just silencing the noise around us um number three let's go with ego is the enemy is good but it's not a top three for sure it just kind of caught my eye because the cover's red Relentless was kind of dope. Tim Grover's cool. Um, I've actually seen a lot of noise around that book lately. Is that something that's new or no? It's been out for quite some time, but it's 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 hot now. Yeah, I like Atomic Habits. I like James Clear, but (laughs) in a doubt, like I didn't name a Malcolm Gladwell book. I love Malcolm Gladwell. Talking to Strangers is super super good. I read that a couple months ago. Uh, Sorry, that was long winded. What, What else? No, man, that's good. That's that's what we're here for, my man. So for our, our, our six listeners, my man, um, go ahead and tell them where they can find you, where they uh, can you know look up some of your information and your services, because um, a lot of our listeners are based out in Florida because that's where we kind of started. But for sure, man, tell us where we can find you and what they can kind of look forward to when they look for you. Low rider. Yeah, I, I'm in Florida, too. Fort Myers. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm accessible via email or Instagram. You can email me. At my personal C Derrickson, C D E R R I C K S O N, one, two, three at Gmail or Instagram, just my name, Connor Derrickson. Pretty simple, C O N N O R, not an E R, uh, Derrickson. Um, I'm an open book, man. I love, I love chatting people up and just, just kind of shooting it and doing stuff like this. So for, for those three people listening, it would, it would be great. All right, man. Well, we greatly appreciate it. I know that. Your time is valuable, so we'll go ahead and let you go. Uh, this was all the smoke on baseball. 
but also just how to approach certain situations. I think a big thing that we learned is uh, with baseball or sports, you can't group people. You really got to take that individual approach and take some time to build some relationships because really we all got the same goal. Learn how to breathe too, like a baby, like a crocodile. Yeah, learn learn how to breathe. I'm going to go breathe myself to sleep here after this. (laughs) All right, that was all the smoke. We appreciate it. Have a great day, guys.